Good morning. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, December 13th, and you are listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Mosh, as you could tell, not here. He is still a bit under the weather. I did speak to him yesterday, though, and he says that he will likely be back tomorrow. In the meantime, as I mentioned yesterday, I posted those children's book recommendations on my Instagram account. That's at Jill R. Wagner. I got a ton of great feedback and also a lot of suggestions on some books that you guys like, which I will continue to share. So really appreciate that. For now, though, let's get to some news. Ukraine's president making a last ditch effort for more aid from Washington. Did it work? To another war in the Middle East, there is reportedly potential for talks to resume over more hostages being released in Gaza. Meanwhile, China's cyber arm has been hacking into critical U.S. services. To college campuses now, Harvard's president not going anywhere, despite an outcry over her testimony about anti-Semitism on campus. In health news, the FDA is reviewing MDMA-assisted therapy, a milestone for psychedelics. And in business news, Hasbro laying off more workers as toy sales slump. And I think we could probably blame TikTok and YouTube for this, but Gen Z apparently already worried about looking old. And as always, we will end the podcast with On This Day in History. All right, let's start with Ukraine's President Zelensky. He was back in D.C. on Tuesday, his third trip to Washington since Russia invaded Ukraine. Now, almost two years ago, if you can believe it, President Biden announced an additional $200 million in drawdown funds for Ukraine earlier on Tuesday and called on the U.S. Congress to pass an aid package. Here is a bit from their joint press conference Tuesday afternoon. This is one of those moments. Congress needs to pass a supplemental funding for Ukraine before they break a holiday recess, before they give Putin the greatest Christmas gift they could possibly give him. And uh, so because we've seen what happens when dictators don't pay the price for the damage and the death and the destruction they cause, and they keep going when no price is paid. The threat to America, to Europe and the world will only keep rising if we don't act. As for that congressional funding, Zelensky hit a bit of a brick wall with Republicans yesterday as he made urgent pleas for more money. GOP lawmakers not budging without immigration and policy changes when it comes to the U.S. southern border. Now, since Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022, the Biden administration has sent more than 75 billion in cash and equipment to the country that dries up for the most part at the end of the year. There was a notable shift in Biden's position during his press conference with Zelensky. Now, he has long vowed American support for Ukraine will persist, quote, as long as it takes. But on Tuesday, he said that the U.S. would, quote, continue to supply Ukraine with critical weapons and equipment as long as we can. Definitely a bit different there. And it comes as Americans' views on the war have shifted. There is growing fatigue, with 64% of Americans saying that neither side is winning. Many are questioning how long it will take to end. The head of the Ukrainian military, he says the war is in a stalemate. Zelensky has said that isn't true and that Ukraine has taken back about 50% of the territories that were originally seized by Russia. 
But just yesterday, Ukraine's biggest mobile network operator was hit by what appeared to be a large cyber attack, knocking out mobile and internet service for millions and the air raid alert system in parts of the Kyiv region. Many in Ukraine fear that they could be forced to negotiate with Russia if Western partners like the U.S. believe that the fighting has stalled and stop providing as much aid as they have been. Now, there is still Europe, though. More than 130 European lawmakers released a joint letter addressed to Congress urging them to support this new round of funding for Ukraine, saying that the joint assistance is more necessary than ever. But again, as far as that massive aid package, which includes about $60 billion for Ukraine, it does not look like that is going to be passing Congress anytime soon, especially not before the winter recess. All right, now to another war, this one between Israel and Hamas. A few developments that I wanted to mention. For one, a possible restart of talks to release some of the Israelis still being held hostage in Gaza. It's been nearly two weeks since that truce brokered by Qatar ended when, according to Israel, Hamas refused to hand over a final group of female hostages and two young children who are still in captivity and then fired rockets into Israel. Well, sources now tell Israeli media that, quote, the conditions are ripe for a framework in which it is possible to start to draft new agreements. This is all extremely preliminary, but if all goes well, sources say we could see talks resume within the next few days. Again, that would just be talks restarting. Fighting was paused in late November. Hamas released over 100 hostages. Israel released 240 Palestinian prisoners. As for the status of the hostages, Israel says another 138 people remain in captivity, including 15 female civilians and two children. And that includes Ariel Bibas, that five-year-old, and his 11-month-old brother. According to the Times of Israel, Israel has shifted its stance on demanding that all female civilians be released before it would consider exchanges for others and is now open to a deal for the release of sick, injured, and elderly men, as well as the remaining women and children. And a Saudi news outlet reports that a deal could see Israel release 300 Palestinian prisoners, including 10 inmates that are serving long sentences, including a prisoner convicted of planning terror attacks that killed numerous Israelis during the second intifada. Again, this is all extremely preliminary, but I did want to mention it because it's the first time since that truce ended and the fighting began that there have been numerous sources coming out to say that it is possible talks could start again. Also wanted to mention a noticeable shift from President Biden in terms of the way that he's talking about the Israeli government and this war. Axios reporting that Biden called on Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government to make changes, notably within his own right wing government, in order to find a long term solution to the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Biden saying in remarks off camera that the Israeli government is, quote, the most conservative government in Israel's history and that it does not support a two state solution. Axios reporting that Biden warned that Israel is losing international support over the war in Gaza and therefore needs to change its policy. The question is, though, what happens after the fighting? Netanyahu is opposed to the Palestinian Authority having any role in governing Gaza after Hamas. The PA runs the West Bank and Mahmoud Abbas, the leader, has still not publicly denounced the attacks on October 7th. He is 88 years old. Netanyahu said both Hamas and the Palestinian Authority 
want to destroy Israel. Biden says that the PA or the Palestinian Authority needs to make reforms, but that they should be involved in any future political solution for Gaza. Moshe and I have talked about this before on the podcast privately. Many Arab leaders have also said they're not really keen on Mahmoud Abbas or the PA's involvement post-war either. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, he is expected to arrive in Israel on Thursday to meet with Netanyahu. So we'll follow that and see if there are any developments. And meanwhile, Hamas leaders outside of Gaza have reportedly been fighting with Yehya Sinwar, who is hiding inside Gaza and started this war by greenlighting the October 7th attack. Hamas leaders in Qatar reportedly talking about how Gaza will be run after the war. And Sinwar is reportedly livid and adamant that nothing should be discussed until this war is over, because as far as he is concerned, all is not lost. Also, the United Nations General Assembly voted on Tuesday to demand an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza, which is a rebuke to the United States, which last week blocked a similar resolution in the smaller Security Council. A majority of the 153 nations voted for the ceasefire resolution 10 voted against, 23 abstained. Israeli ambassador Gilad Erdan held up a sign that said, for a ceasefire, dial, and then he had the number for Yigya Sinwar. He asked the member states to call and tell him to stop the war that he started on October 7th. Israel has said this war would end immediately if Hamas returns all of the hostages and surrenders Important also to note that the General Assembly resolutions are not binding, but they do carry some political weight and, of course, reflect how the world is viewing this war. All right. Plenty of news coming up. But first, a word from some of our sponsors. This bustling holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, flavorful meals to fuel you on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Personally, I have been loving them. They save me so much time. They're delicious. I feel like I'm eating like a fancy meal uh, when I'm home. I personally have been loving also the cold-pressed juices, the pasta dishes, and a bunch of the different chicken meals. So you could skip all of your meal planning, grocery shopping, chopping, prepping, cleaning up and get Factor's fresh, never frozen meals delivered to your door. They're ready in about two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Treat yourself to high quality, delicious meals over the holidays. Choose from more than 35 chef crafted meals every week. They support a healthy lifestyle and meet all of your meal preferences, whether it's calorie smart, vegan, protein plus, whatever you're looking for, they have it. And factor not just for dinner. Choose from quick breakfast items, lunch to go, grab and go snacks, and ready to drink cold pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor packed meals ready in two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash monews50. So use that code monews50, M O N E W S 50 to get 50% off. And that's at factormeals.com. Again, that is slash monews50 for 50% off. All right. And if you are a longtime listener, you know we have been drinking AG1 for about a year now here over at the podcast. Especially as a mom of two young kids, I could use all of the help I could get when it comes to nutrition and just my energy level. 
AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement. It supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. AG1 is continuously refining their formula to create smarter, better ways to elevate your baseline health. It's tested for 950 contaminants. It's NSF certified for sport, formulated on the latest science and maintains the highest quality standards. I take AG1 in the morning and I know I am covered for the day regardless of what else I eat. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag1.com slash monews. Check it out. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Washington Post. The Chinese military ramping up its ability to disrupt key American infrastructure, including power and water utilities, as well as communications and transportation systems. This is according to U.S. officials and industry security officials. Hackers affiliated with China's People's Liberation Army have burrowed into the computer systems of about two dozen critical entities over the past year. The intrusions, they say, are part of a broader effort to develop ways to sow panic and chaos or snarl logistics in the event of a U.S.-China conflict in the Pacific. Among the victims are a water utility in Hawaii, a major West Coast port, and at least one oil and gas pipeline. The hackers also attempted to break into the operator of Texas's power grid, which operates independently from electrical systems in the rest of the country. Several entities outside of the U.S., including electric utilities, have also been victimized by the hackers. Everyone who spoke to the Washington Post spoke on the condition of anonymity because of just how sensitive this is. They say attention to Hawaii, which is home of the Pacific Fleet, and to at least one port as well as logistics centers, suggests that the Chinese military wants the ability to complicate U.S. efforts to ship troops and equipment to the region if a conflict were to break out over Taiwan. And it all comes as the U.S. and China have struggled to stabilize a relationship that is more antagonistic now than it has been in decades. Chinese military commanders refused for more than a year to even speak to American counterparts, even as close call intercepts by Chinese fighter jets of U.S. spy planes surged in the Western Pacific. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping agreed only last month to restore those communication channels. The bottom line, according to Brandon Wales, who is the executive director of the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that is a mouthful. He says, quote, it is very clear that Chinese attempts to compromise critical infrastructure are in part to pre-position themselves to be able to disrupt or destroy that critical infrastructure in the event of a conflict to either prevent the U.S. from being able to project power into Asia or to cause societal chaos inside of the United States to affect our decision-making around a crisis. He says that is a significant change from Chinese cyber activity from seven to 10 years ago that was focused primarily on political and economic espionage. From NBC News, Claudine Gay, the embattled president of Harvard, will remain in the role, the university's highest governing body announced on Tuesday. It follows almost a week of outcry over testimony that she gave at a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism on campus. In a statement, the board says, quote, our extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that 
President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal and to address the very serious societal issues that we are facing. President Gay has apologized for how she handled her congressional testimony and has committed to redoubling the university's fight against anti-Semitism. Gay became the university's president less than six months ago. She is the second woman and the first black person to lead the Ivy League institution. She and her counterparts at UPenn and MIT got fierce criticism after they appeared at a House hearing last week and seemed to dodge a question of whether students calling for the genocide of Jews should be punished, saying uh, it was basically all about context. In an interview with the Harvard Crimson student newspaper the day after, she did apologize for her remarks and said that, quote, I got caught up in what had become at that point an extended combative exchange about policies and procedures. The testimony went viral on social media. Everyone from the White House to lawmakers to Jewish community advocates, alumni and donors condemned it. Now, Penn's president, Liz McGill, has stepped down, but Gay received a lot of support Monday from a large group of Harvard professors and alumni. More than 700 members of the faculty signed a letter urging administrators to resist calls for her removal. They wrote, we urge you in the strongest possible terms to defend the independence of the university and to resist political pressures that are at odds with Harvard's commitment to academic freedom including calls for the removal of President Claudine Gay. They continue, the critical work of defending a culture of free inquiry in our diverse community cannot proceed if we let its shape be dictated by outside forces. Now, as we talk about diversity or the lack thereof on campus, I just wanted to mention a recent survey of Harvard's very own faculty, which showed a lack of ideological diversity among Harvard's professors, More than 77% identified either as very liberal or liberal in the Crimson's annual survey of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences. 20% said that they were moderate. Just 2% said that they were conservative and less than 1% identified as very conservative. Mosh posted this on his Instagram account, as did I. I have been trying to gauge the reaction, uh, at least on social media, to the decision that Claudine Gay is going to stay as president. A lot of people praising it, saying that it was the right call. I was listening to a panel discussion. Al Sharpton was on Morning Joe on MSNBC last week, and they were talking about the testimony from college presidents. And Joe Scarborough had asked Al Sharpton, a civil rights leader, what he would have done if, if the question had been about black students and genocide. And he said, if the university presidents had answered the question the way that they had did during that testimony, he and other protesters would already be on buses ready to protest at Harvard and at these schools demanding that the university presidents get fired, noting that they have had people removed from their posts for less than that. Again, a really hot button issue here about free speech, free speech on campus. Where is the line between free speech and hate speech? Unfortunately, I do not think we've heard the last of it. Just trying to give a range of perspectives here. On to some health news from The Washington Post. The FDA to review MDMA-assisted therapy, a milestone for psychedelics. MAPS Public Benefit Corp. filed an application Tuesday with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to approve the psychedelic drug MDMA, also known as ecstasy, in combination with therapy to treat post-traumatic stress disorder in what would be the first treatment of its kind. 
The filing is a milestone in researchers' quest to move psychedelic drugs from tightly restricted substances into mainstream medical treatments that are widely accessible to patients. It comes after decades of studies have demonstrated the promise of psychedelics, including magic mushrooms and ketamine, to treat mental health disorders. FDA approval, while no means assured, could raise tricky issues for regulatory authorities. Now, the FDA doesn't regulate the practice of medicine, which is generally left to state licensing boards. The FDA did approve a variation of ketamine back in 2019 that remains the only psychedelic currently approved to treat depression. The FDA has increasingly acknowledged the growing push for psychedelic treatments, publishing guidance for running clinical trials for such drugs back in June. An opinion piece in the New England Journal of Medicine published last month said that that alone is a, quote, policy landmark and reflects shifting attitudes toward controversial substances. From MarketWatch, Hasbro's cutting about 900 jobs as the company is facing a slump in toy and game sales after a boom during the pandemic. The company says the cost-saving plan will result in the reallocation of people and resources including early retirement for some employees and layoffs over the next two years. The maker of My Little Pony and Monopoly launched the plan in January and at the time announced the layoffs of about 15% of its workforce. The Wall Street Journal says early data points to another weak year for the toy industry following a boom during the pandemic. Mattel in October reported a better than expected third quarter, but that was thanks in part to the wildly successful Barbie movie, Shares of Mattel up 6% this year, in contrast to a 20% drop for Hasbro. All right. And finally, this story from CNN Style. I have been holding this for a couple of days because I really wanted to talk to Moshe about it, as he and I have shared a couple of laughs around this topic. But I will do it solo for now. Here we go. Though the oldest among them is only about 26, Gen Z is already anxious about looking older. Thanks to Instagram, TikTok, and of course, Zoom, people are spending a lot more time than ever looking at their own faces. Online, they share routines aimed at preventative aging, encompassing everything from applying retinoids, vitamin C, and sunscreen to wearing face tape at night and getting baby Botox in an attempt to prevent lines from forming in the first place. Searches and social buzz surrounding Botox, dermal fillers, and retinol increased 63% this year. According to stats, Gen Z's early appetite for anti-aging beauty has created an opportunity for brands to tap into a consumer that they historically have not considered. One analyst saying it's a bit of a juxtaposed generation. On the one hand, they are about body positivity, authenticity, credibility, And then on the other, they are very focused on anti-aging. They use filters and put an emphasis on perfection. So there's positivity on one side and fear on the other. The hashtag anti-aging has 7.4 billion views on TikTok. Solutions like frownies, which is essentially a sticker that you sleep in to smooth out wrinkles, silicone anti-wrinkle pads, jaw lift chin straps, face tape for, quote, fox eyes, and radio frequency devices like New Face are everywhere. I do not know what it says about me that I have literally not heard of any of this. Uh, still, more information does not always mean that it's accurate. Many young consumers apparently go to dermatologists with problems that they think are related to aging, but are actually caused by the premature use of harsh chemicals. 
All right, time for On This Day in History. On December 13th, 1956, the film drama Anastasia was released in American theaters. It marked the Hollywood comeback of Ingrid Bergman, whose extramarital affair had caused a scandal. She won an Academy Award for her performance. On this day in 1966, Jimi Hendrix wrote and recorded Foxy Lady at CBS Studios. The title was misprinted as Foxy Lady, F-O-X-E-Y, on the U.S. version of the album, Are You Experienced? On this day in 2003, Iraqi President Saddam Hussein captured by U.S. forces during the Iraq War. Three years later, he was found guilty of crimes against humanity and was executed. And on this day in 1992, goaltender Manan Rayom became the first woman to play in a pro hockey game. I will say on this day, not quite as fun without Mosh, nor is the podcast, right? I am looking forward to having him back tomorrow. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram for news all day long at Mosh, M-O-S-H-E-H. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. In the words of Bon Jovi, we are halfway there. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Hi, cutie. Hi. <laughs> do you want to do another thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast? Yeah. Okay, go for it. Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast. Come on, I think you could do it a little bit stronger than that. Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast.